Well, we did okay. We'll do even better next week. How about that? Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles this afternoon <clears throat> as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. Very good. In the Gospel of Mark. And yes, indeed, we are turning to chapter 11. We've come to a point as we begin this chapter 11 at which Jesus' earthly public ministry has spanned, oh, I'm going to say the better part of almost three years. Now we've seen how Jesus has traveled throughout the region of Galilee and the areas surrounding the Sea of Galilee, regions of all of Galilee, of Samaria, of Phoenicia, of Gadara, and much of the greater, uh, much of the province of greater Judea. He's, he's gone a ways. He's, he's, he's put some footsteps in. Well, so far, <clears throat> as we've studied the Gospel of Mark, we have studied Jesus' interactions with his disciples, with the Pharisees, with the lost and the dying, and with the faithful. Just to mention a few, Jesus has, well, as we've studied, we've seen him heal and help multitudes of people with both physical and spiritual diseases, oppressions, possessions by demons, and even doubts. Jesus' preaching and his teaching has addressed a great many topics of life and faith, from God's holiness and righteousness to mankind's sinfulness and how the Everlasting Father has provided a way through Christ that we can be reconciled back to God and have that everlasting life with him. So our text today, chapter 11, our text today shifts our focus just a little bit to the fulfillment of yet another prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. The prophecy that was spoken and recorded by the prophet Zechariah. Now this prophecy was spoken, or it was recorded at least, somewhere between 400 and 500 years before Christ was on the scene. Now we have the great privilege of having a fully preserved and completely accurate and reliable record of God's existence and his creation, including mankind, who, by the way, I believe is God's most unique and distinctive and valuable creation. As well as his dealings with us, we have that record with his dealings with us over thousands of years. So now, why we would ever choose to believe anything that mankind has come up with is well beyond me. But that is the choice that God has given us to make. To believe mankind or to believe an eternal, holy, and righteous God. The only good option is to believe and follow God. Amen? Amen? So as to this message today, I've titled it, the beginning of the end. Oh, oh. That might sound a bit ominous to some, but understand that 
I've titled it this way because it is simply referring in this chapter to the end of Jesus' physical time and ministry on earth. There is, though, an aside reference as we can see the biblical indications that Jesus is coming again soon and those biblical indications are taking shape as God continues to set things in order according to his plan and according to his will. So let's take a look at our text. Mark chapter 11. Follow along with me as I begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible here says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and they found the colt tied by the door without, in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany, with the twelve. So from this text today, I want to look at three brief points. From our text, I want to look at the preparation, and we'll look at the procession, and then also the perspective, the perspective. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look to your word today, Lord, it's not possible for us as mortals, though sinners saved by grace, It is not possible for us to expound completely the full understanding, but God, by your Spirit, would you meet with us? You promised that you would. And so, Father, would you use the Holy Spirit today to open our understanding, Lord, to fill each one of us, that, God, you might work in our hearts and you might work in our minds. And, and Lord, help us to understand what you would have for each one of us today, that, Lord, when we leave here, we can leave rejoicing and exclaiming and proclaiming that it was a great day in the house of the Lord and that you have worked mightily. Father, won't you accomplish your will today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so beginning with the preparation. Now it's likely that you've heard this passage that we've just read referred to as the triumphal entry of Christ. Anybody ever heard that? The triumphal entry of Christ. Indeed, it seemed to be for many as the prophecy of the Messiah that was that uh, it was that a king would come to establish the kingdom of and for God's chosen people. Specifically, I mentioned a moment ago, the prophecy of Zechariah. So, here's a Bible drill. Hold your hands right here. Hold your place right here. And find with me Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah Zechariah chapter 9. It's the second to the last book of the Old Testament. There's your clue. 
Zechariah chapter 9, if you would, please. When you find that, make your way down to verses 9 and 10, and we'll see what this prophecy of Zechariah says. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. That was the prophecy. And as we see the colt being loosed and being brought to Jesus, and he's sitting on it and entering into Jerusalem, that prophecy has been fulfilled. For hundreds of years, Israel has been longing for They've been looking for this king to come and to provide this salvation that Zechariah spoke of, saving them from the persecution and tyranny that has been the rule for so long. This was to be the greatest event for this nation, this nation of Israel. Now, anyone knows that great events... Have you ever been involved in planning a great event Everyone knows that great events don't just happen on their own. There is a lot of preparation and many critical details to be worked out. We do our best to consider as many possible contingencies that there might be so that we can handle those last-minute catastrophes or changes to the plans because of unforeseen circumstances. Very often, though, there is something that comes up that is just a bigger deal than we expected, and it just throws us for a loop. Can I tell you, in case you were wondering, can I tell you, that doesn't happen with God. What? There are no unforeseen circumstances for God. That's the epitome of what is that word? Omniscience. He knows all about it. He knows all of the things that might come up, and he got it, he's got it handled. There's a new book out from Paul Chapel. It's called God, God's Got This. New Bible study. We'll, we'll probably look at that at some point. God's got this. We have a God who is all-knowing. Nothing ever just occurs to God like it might you and me. Whatever circumstance you may be experiencing even today. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what life is dealing you right now. Whatever circumstance you might be experiencing today was well known to God for a long, long time already. We must simply trust that God knows what he's doing and what is happening and if we will be true and faithful to God, in the midst of our circumstances, we can also take Jesus' words to the ruler of the synagogue. Remember the ruler of the synagogue whose daughter was sick unto death? We can take Jesus' words to him to heart when he said, Be not afraid, only believe. You'll find that in Mark chapter 5, verse 36. 
Now, it may not be a final outcome that we might desire or that we might understand, but what is our goal in our circumstances? Is our goal for our own pleasures to be met? Or is our goal for God's purposes to be fulfilled and for the grace of God to fill our hearts with his peace, even in what we might consider the worst of situations? So the nation of Israel has been looking for this king for a very long time. The prophecy with Jesus riding on the colt and riding into Jerusalem fulfills what they've been longing for. Oh, they were excited. Notice with me the specific details that God had prepared for this event. Starting in verse number 2. Jesus saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, what do, uh, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Now we've read through verse number 6. They went, hither, they went their way. They found the colt. Certain of them in verse 5 that stood there said, one of them, What do you do, loosen the colt? In verse 6 said, They say unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded. And they let them go. Consider, if you will, none of these things just happened to be in the right place at the right time. God had worked out exactly the right time and place for the disciples to have learned from Christ. God worked out at exactly the right time and place for that colt to have been born and raised to the right age without ever being ridden. And it was tied in exactly the place appointed. God worked out the detail of the hearts of those standing there to be prepared to allow the cult to be taken for the Lord's use and without opposition. And did you notice that it all happened exactly as Jesus said it would? Part of the reason, I believe, was because in verse number 6, look at verse number 6 with me one more time, and they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded. Had they altered their answer in any way when they were asked, what are you doing? Had they altered their answer in any way, interjecting their own reasonings for what they were doing, would things have worked out as well as they did? How often, how often, friends, do you and I try to add our own understanding and our own logic and our own reason to something that God has prepared to come our way only to make a bigger mess of things? Guilty. <laughs> the disciples were told, Jesus said, if any man Say to you, what? why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. The disciples, they said, as Jesus had commanded. They did exactly what God told them to do. They did exactly what the Lord said. And it worked out exactly as Jesus said it would. You see, God's peace, God's plans, and, and, and his peace in our lives can only ever come if we allow God's plan to prevail. That's a great sentence. God's peace can only ever come if we allow God's plan to prevail. 
Don't interject our own reasons. Don't interject our own logic. Allow God's plan to prevail. Which brings us to the second point, the procession. Now when the colt was brought to Jesus, and the disciples had laid their own garments, their, their cloaks, their outer robes, if you will, on that colt, and Jesus sat upon it, it was the catalyst for so many there to see that Jesus is the king of the prophecy. Now, he may not have been very regal looking, I suppose, but what did the prophecy say? The prophecy said that he would be lowly, riding on a colt. So for those that were longing for so many hundreds of years, looking for the answer to this prophecy, here he is sitting, riding on this colt. And it began a rather notable procession. You might want to call it a parade, maybe. I don't know. One that was sure to be seen and heard by as many as were near. Take a look with me again in verse number 8. Verse 7 says, They brought the colt to Jesus. The disciples cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Verse 8 says, And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of, the fa of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, isn't that what parades and processionals are all about? Gathering as much celebration as possible? What was their celebration? Well, it seems that their celebration is contained within their own words. The first thing that they said was, Hosanna! What in the world does Hosanna mean? I'm glad you asked. So, uh, Hosanna, it actually is a combination of two Hebrew words. Yosha and Na. That sounds like an odd word. But here's what they mean. Yosha means to be free, to be safe. And then the word Na means either now or I pray you. So what were they celebrating? They were celebrating the fact that now this one that cometh in the name of the Lord will set them free from the tyrannical and empirical rule of the Romans over them. Hallelujah, we're free in him. Free from having to deal with the Greek or the Gentile people. They could now be a people unto themselves and not have to pay tribute or be subject to anyone else. They could be their own free people. They would now be the authority from sea even to sea, as the Bible said, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Isn't that what the prophecy said? The king is going to reign from sea to sea, from the river even to the ends of the earth. The Israelites, the nation, was now going to be the authority. They didn't have to answer to anyone else. That was their celebration. Yes, they, they did celebrate the, the man Jesus, but not as the Son of God. They celebrated the man Jesus merely as the representative of, what did they say? The kingdom of our father David. He might be the one to usher it in, but they're just celebrating their newfound freedom their newfound salvation. Much like we might be very thankful 
If we're ever in need and someone comes to rescue us, we're very, very thankful for that one that comes and rescues us or does some great thing for us. We're so thankful. Perhaps we might even say something like, bless you for what you've done. But that would be the limit of our acknowledgement of them. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be he that has come to set us free. They were thankful, but that was their limit. Oh, they, they did recognize that this was brought by the hand of God because they exclaimed in the end of verse 11, Hosanna, now we are set free in the highest by the supreme God. In other words, I believe the thought was one of being thankful because God has looked favorably upon us and is now setting us free. Thank you, God, right? Now, please don't take this the wrong way. It is fantastic and great, and we ought to be excited about our salvation. Always. Last week, the scriptures led us to the place of considering how do we speak about Christ and what he has done for us and our salvation and who he is in and through our lives. How passionate are we about our relationship with Christ? Do we speak of Christ so that others can get that excitement from us as well and want to hear more about it? That's what we talked about last week. So it's not a bad thing to be excited. These were excited for their salvation. But is Christ truly the Lord also in our life? Amen. I am God. I've got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to go and do my own thing. No. He's my Savior, but is that my whole processional? Thank God I'm saved. Let me tell you all about how I'm saved. That's great. I'm saved. That's wonderful. But didn't I just see you getting all kind of upset over here? And didn't I see you doing something over here that probably, oh, do Christians do that? Oh. Is it all processional? Or is Jesus truly our Lord of our life also? Are we living our excitement. Here in our text, the Jubilee seems not to be worshiping Jesus the Christ, rather celebrating their personal expected freedom. The text here almost begs the question of our own desire to worship. Of course we are thankful for our salvation. There is no question about that. What though are we giving back to the Lord? What are we giving back to our Father and Savior and God for the love that He has demonstrated? toward us. Is it merely a processional? Oh yeah, I go to church three times a week. I throw a few dollars in the offering plate. But what happened Friday night? Let's not talk about Friday night. On Sunday I'm going to church. I, I, is it our living testament? Is our excitement, our passion for our relationship with Christ, our living demonstration? It brings us to the third point this afternoon, the perspective. So we'll close today with verse number 11. Verse number 11 in Mark chapter 11 says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. You see, Jesus came into the holy city. He came into the holy temple. And the Bible tells us that 
he looked round about upon all things. He took stock, if you will, of all that was going on in the temple. And he had that information from a perspective of expecting in the temple of the Lord only righteousness and holiness and godliness. Now the natural understanding, well, maybe it's not so natural, but the spiritual understanding ought to be Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. How did you just go from Jesus entering the temple to now it's my fault? <laughs> because the word of God explains itself. Jesus entered into the temple and he looked all round about upon all things. Have we given Jesus access to look around about all things? Or are we, maybe we're kind of like that vacation rental owner who always keeps one closet locked with their personal stuff. VRBO, isn't that the thing? Vacation rental by owner. Hmm. We are not a vacation rental. We're not even a long-term rental that we invite Jesus to, except for that room over there. We're going to keep that one locked. Come into my life, Lord, as long as I live, but leave that room alone. Earlier I said that the message title had a side reference to God's continued purpose of setting things in order for Jesus to come again. First for the rapture of his children and then for his millennial reign. The time is drawing near. Remember I titled this the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the end in many ways. Isn't Jesus setting in order all the things necessary for him to say, go get them and bring them home? Isn't it time to unlock the closet and give Jesus the full perspective in our lives? Let him purge and cleanse us in every corner of every closet of every part of our life and heart so that we can become, what does First Peter say? Become holy as he is holy. Amen? Pastor, would you close? Well, one thing for sure, we cannot become what God expects us to become. Unless we're willing to give him complete access and to point to things that are strong and good and things that are weak and anemic in our lives. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That is a carte blanche request. God, I'm an open book. I have no locked doors. I have no locked chambers. I want to give you access to all of them. Lord, you tell me what's good and what's not good there. 
and our responsibility is to shore up the things that are good and to jettison the things that are bad so that more of the Lord, I should say, that the Lord can have more of us and that we can have more of the Holy Spirit or he have more access to us. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. And Lord, as we read these historical accounts, Lord, there were people who were real and genuine. They were excited. And Lord, they were more excited that they were that generation that got to witness it. Lord, we may be the generation that's going to witness the rapture. But Lord, we don't want to be unprepared and we don't want to be ill-prepared. Lord, we want to be prepared. So Lord, speak to us about those areas that we may have locked the doors to and give you the key that you might have access. Lord, you speak to us in a way that you need to speak to us so that we can become the people that you expect us to be. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.